For what do I have if I don't have you, Jesus? What in this life could mean anymore? You are my rock. You are my glory. Hi and welcome to The Rock Podcast. It doesn't make any sense, but we do it anyway, running from God, the God who made heaven and earth, the one who loves us so very much. Even men of God like Jonah have yielding to that temptation, and in today's study we learn once again about how futile it is to resist the Lord and His will for our lives. Let's join Pastor Ross with a message entitled, Running From God. Turn with me in your Bibles to a new book in the Old Testament, to the book of Jonah, chapter 1. Now, when I pick Jonah, it doesn't mean that we're going to necessarily skip all or any books that are in between that and Esther, uh, but I just felt led, my my heart kind of drawn to this book. Uh, So for the next four weeks or so, four chapters, four uh, weeks, we'll be studying the life of Jonah. So let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for a new book in the Old Testament to study. And Lord, what a unique and and powerful uh, narrative. Lord, an incident that the prophet will have the courage to uh, write about, Lord, even though it paints him in such a a poor light at times. But Lord, uh, we thank you for your wonderful grace and, and your spirit that is working all things together for good. We want to learn, Lord, the, the living message from the book of Jonah. Help us apply these truths to our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, you know when we say, don't even go there, right? That's a pretty strong signal Uh, that we do not want to talk about something that's very sensitive or pushes our buttons. And uh, uh, any uh, suggestion there would be off limits. And so uh, it's deeply personal areas that are volatile with us. Uh, We just let people know uh, that that's not an area uh, we wish to speak about. Well, tonight, the expression will take on kind of a, a double Uh, meaning, figurative and literally, when God asks one of his prophets to go here, (laughs) to Nineveh. Now, here's Israel, here's Iraq, and Nineveh is 550 miles uh, northeast. Now, It's not so much the travel to Iraq that is going to cause Jonah to say, don't even go there, God. It's really about what God is going to ask the prophet to do in Nineveh. All right? So let's check that out. Verses 1 through 3. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa, where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. So let's 
parked there. <laughs> yes, uh, how many of you think that wasn't a smart idea? <laughs> yeah, you're way ahead of the game. Well, um, yeah, exactly. This is what God wants. What was the problem? It wasn't about going to the desert in the middle of Iraq. Uh, it was that God needed somebody to preach the good news to some very bad guys. And so this, uh, if you're taking notes, disobedient prophet would, would be a first good heading. And so uh, he's going to stir up, we don't know how, and just the word of the Lord came to this prophet, and uh, his name is Jonah, we're going to talk about him. Uh, but we don't really know how God revealed that to him, but he did. He certainly got the message, and in response, not so much by his words, but by his actions, he was saying, don't even go there, God, uh, because... I won't even go there. And so he proves that that's going to be a reality. So uh, Jonah has a very deep aversion to go, um, and we don't know why, but we're going to get to the bottom of it, literally. Bottom. <laughs> to the bottom of the sea and a big fish. Never mind. Tarshish, why Tarshish? Well, let me show you that little map of how far it is away. So, <laughs> yeah, it's modern-day Gibraltar. It's southern tip of Spain. It means smelting place, a place that was famous for their uh, metals that they would melt down and, and craft all kinds of things, and they, they would trade with the rest of the world. And so it was a very famous port, but it was the far limits of Western civilization. It's as far as you really could go. It would be like saying, you know what, from here to Timbuktu, wherever Timbuktu is. Well, it's in Mali, Mali, in Africa, by the way, if you were wondering. I had to Google it, but I did find out where Timbuktu is. Well, this is Tarshish. 2,500 miles. You know, he, he, he really wants to not be in the same region, you know. And so it would have been a lot easier just to go the 550, I think, to Nineveh. So you can see the Mediterranean and, and Europe and Turkey and, yeah. So that'll give you an idea there. So... Uh, God wants Jonah to share the gospel with some very wicked uh, people. And, and uh, that would be the Assyrians. And they were longtime arch enemies, uh, really. They're the big bully on the, on the world stage at the moment. And so uh, he says, preach against. And that word there means to really denounce or to rebuke or to expose their wickedness. And so... Uh, it was the gospel. It is preaching the gospel, even though it's against their sin, because that's what the gospel is always. Jesus started preaching. Uh, Matthew chapter 4, at that time, Jesus began preaching, repent of your sins, for the kingdom of God is at hand. And so the gospel always starts, the good news gospel always starts with a little bad news, and that is that we're estranged from God and that we are sinners, and that the wages of sin is death. But if we turn from that, God has made a way for our forgiveness and for eternal life. But it always starts with some uh, bad news. Even Ezekiel chapter 33 says, As surely as I live, says the Lord. He says, I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but rather that, that they would turn from their ways and live. Turn, turn, turn 
from your evil ways and live. That's Ezekiel, Old Testament. That's the gospel, right? But the last line of Ezekiel 33, 11 says this. Why will you die, O house of Israel? Oh, so the book of Jonah is going to reveal Israel's problem is, is that they could understand that the gospel or repentance could be for God's people who had his favor, but not for people like the Assyrians, right? So the message and the takeaway here, it's timeless and profound and desperately needed uh, today is that God has a heart for the home team as, far, as well as the away team, for the victim and for the aggressor, the perpetrator. God has a heart uh, for people we love and for people we despise, even though we're told that we're not supposed to hate our enemies but love them. Uh, I know that you understand what I'm talking about. So the bottom line message of this minor prophet, there are 12 minor prophets. A minor prophet is a smaller book. That's all, not in the way of insignificance, but in the way of size. And so uh, Jonah may be the greatest fish story, okay, if you think about it, but it's not about the whale. The whale's mentioned four times. And Jonah, you know, it's not even about the author uh, who the book is named after. Jonah's mentioned about nine times. Now, sure, on one level, of course, you can make the case that uh, the book is about, hey, don't be like Jonah, you know, for a variety of reasons. You know, uh, God's servants can't expect uh, to oppose God and get away with it. That's a little lesson. Uh, but really, the big thing we don't want to be like Jonah is, is he happily receives salvation and blessing for himself, but he stubbornly resists God to do the same thing, salvation and mercy and grace, for others. Oh, I, I want all my sins forgiven. I want you to be merciful to me, even though I've been wicked and done some terrible things. But I don't want you to do that for other people, especially the ones that have hurt me or I find especially reprehensible. Right? So that's the takeaway, if it were really about Jonah, but only nine times for Jonah, but 38 times is mentioned the true hero and the true star of the book of Jonah, which is the Lord, 38 times. And the Lord comes out as the star because he's eager to show mercy and to avert disaster. He says, like I said, Ezekiel 33, as surely as I live, he's taking an oath, swearing by himself, I take no delight at the death of the bad guy. I'd rather that they have turned. I made a way for them. I love them. Don't love what they do. And unrepented evildoers will bear his wrath because he hates evil and he hates unrepented in the long term evildoers, right? The problem is we never know who is who. I mean, we he knows who the unrepented true evil person is. But sometimes... They masquerade, and they're disguised. Paul the Apostle, he was a terrorist, killing Christians and terrorizing the church. We didn't know he was the greatest missionary that, who would ever live and write 13 New Testament books. Nobody knew that. I think that's part of the reason why God says, love your enemies, because you don't know who's who, just to make it your policy to love everybody, right? We, don't, we hate the sin, 
We despise the evil that happens there. But there's a soul there. And that's the message of, of Jonah, is there's a soul there that God loves and he wants us to share and to know his heart for the lost, all right? So not to be like a Pharisee that, uh, you know, it's all for us and we're all the good guys and God hates the bad guys and they're all gonna go to hell. Uh, not good. So the simple request there, it's a one-liner. It's pretty easy. Go preach the gospel to uh, the Ninevites or the Assyrians there. Uh, some helpful information to help understand Jonah's reluctance is that the Assyrians who live in Nineveh are the pre-Islamist terrorists. They are, the ISIS is their children. In fact, this is Nineveh. Modern-day Mosul is ancient-day Nineveh. I've got a picture of it. Instead of 120,000, you know, at the end of uh, the book of Jonah, it says there are about 120,000. Their estimate's a little bit more than that. So a tenth of what it is today, a million people live in Mosul, Nineveh. And guess who is running Mosul right now? Next slide. ISIS has captured Nineveh. They are the descendants of the Assyrians who were there 2,800 years before in that very place, acting in the very same ways. When you read the history books about the Assyrians, they were the most cruel regime ever. And I won't even tell you some of the things, but if you, if you read about ISIS you will read the, that kind and level of cruelty. And so now you can start to understand, here's this Jewish prophet where about 800 years before Christ, where in the 13th king of 20 kings before the end of Israel, we're at Jeroboam II, and Amos is prophesying against that king and against Israel. And Jonah is prophesying pro-Israel, pro-expansion and victory. So God's ministry through Jonah is patriotic, even though it's a time when Israel's going to get clobbered. How God is working through Jonah is patriotic, Israel first, bad guys are, are going to suffer, and it's all true. But but. This helps me to understand why Jonah, of all people, don't want to go to the capital city of Assyria, to Nineveh, where these terrorists are hanging out, always threatening to destroy Israel. Because, I mean, you, you might have got somebody more interested in doing that. The problem is, Jonah would be fine going there to preach, you're all going to die. That would not be the problem. Jonah's problem is when you preach and expose somebody's sin in the power of the gospel, there's an opportunity for repentance because God wouldn't send him there, and he knows this, if there weren't a chance to avert the disaster and be right with God. You see, so that is Jonah's problem. 
Not that he's going to go and preach against it. He had fun preaching against it, but he knows what that what will happen is perhaps they'll, the Lord will touch their hearts. And, and these dudes, these guys who are killing kids and raping people and torturing people, there's an article today about what happens every day in Mosul, and, and they list things. They shot and executed 29 of their own soldiers because they were wounded. And they don't have the means to cure them. So they lined up their own soldiers and executed them. Jonah doesn't want any of those people in heaven. And, 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 and neither do we. That's the problem. That's why we need the book of Jonah. Because Jesus says, could you please, just a cut above the normal, everyday, mere human being, pagan, who hates the bad guys and loves the good guys, You've got to be able somewhere in your mind to say, if one of them met the Lord, and they have, and took off that hood, and there were tears in the eyes, and it was a really true born-again experience, my heart, would, my heart would welcome that guy because I would see the presence of forgiveness in the Lord. It still would be hard, right? Especially if I knew somebody that they um, aggressed to use a softer and kinder word. Yeah, so this is going to be an area, you know, welcome to the next four weeks of wrestling down your own thoughts and feelings about God's love for bad people. His ways are harder than our ways. You know what? They don't repent. They're going to have to deal with him. But whosoever means whosoever. This is the message of Jonah. Whosoever includes them. There's no conditions. Whosoever except if you. No, it's not the gospel. So he says, Jonah, I want you to take the whosoever gospel to these guys. Probably not many are going to repent. But it's worth it for one. It's worth it for one. So Jonah's got to uh, learn it the hard way. So step one is run like crazy. Yeah, thank you for changing that slide. Step one, run like a madman in the opposite direction. <laughs> he doesn't get very far, you know, but he is going to uh, make a grand effort. So Jonah went, all right, but not to Nineveh. And so he's from a place called gath Hefer. And it's two miles from Nazareth, Nazareth, if you're interested. So it's, by, it's near the Sea of Galilee. So he makes his way 60 miles uh, to the coast to a place called uh, Joppa. All right, so Joppa is modern-day Jaffa, J-A-F-F-A. It's our first stop when we land in Tel Aviv. Uh, if you're coming in May, uh, we go straight to Jaffa, and we get off, off our first stop place we stop is uh, the Tanner, Simon Tanner's uh, house at where Peter had his vision. Uh, this is the old, the old part of town, but Tel Aviv, Tel Aviv is the region and Jaffa is the port, right? And so the next picture here, modern day, right? Now, now what's cool about, and we, we've stood there, is where they think that Peter somewhere in this area was on a rooftop in Acts chapter 10 when God gives him, and pay attention because there's a link to Jonah and Joppa 
and the New Testament and Peter's vision. So he's having a vision where the church needs to go from the Jewish church to the Gentile church. And the Jews are having a hard time with the, all these pagans who are eating pork chops and having, ordering cheeseburgers with extra bacon on it. And they just didn't understand how we're supposed to relate to these Gentiles. They're called goy in, in Hebrew, the outside people. So Peter says, the Lord says, stop it, Peter, already. And, and made him nice and hungry and, and then put him into like a kind of a trance. He was praying. And down comes a sheet right here in Joppa. And it has all these unclean animals. And, and he thinks it's about dietary things. But it's not about dietary things. It's going to be about saying, we're good, we're clean, and they're unclean. So we can't have a church with those kinds of people in it. So he says, arise, Peter, kill and eat. And in there, there, there were a couple pigs in the sheet. And it's like, I've never, ever eaten anything like ribs or bacon or anything dirty like that. And, and the Spirit says, Stop that now. Do not call what I have made clean dirty. All right? So it had to happen like three times. You know, Peter. (laughs) (laughs) And so through a whole series of divine appointments, it finally gets through to the guy that he's not talking so much about kosher food as not segregating people who are trying to come to the Lord and be a whosoever. They are a part of the church just like the Jews were. And the Jews were the original Christians. Uh, They just had to understand. But look at the genius of God to do it in the place where Jonah is struggling with the same thing. Only 800 years before, Jonah's saying the gospel's only for the kosher, upright, moralist, law-abiding Jew. And he's trying to say, hey, my gospel's even for the Ninevites. Right there, overlooking the place where Jonah's trying to get away with the lesson that God is going to give Peter, who's trying to be clueless up on the roof. Same place. You know, God's a multitasking genius. So praise the Lord. Uh, So... Okay, so he goes looking for a boat, right in Joppa. And, and by George, he finds one. What are the odds, he's thinking to himself. You see, maybe I'm not really running from God. What are the odds? I wanted to go to Tarshish, right? What are the odds? They're, they're hardly ever those big ocean-going boats. They don't, they're not there every day. So the one day I want to go to Tarshish, the exact fare... I got it in my pocket. I got the exact fare. The ship's there, and a guy comes running out. Everybody going to Tarshish. All aboard. Just as he comes in, he's like, oh, God. See? Oh, I'm feeling better about this already. Because he mistakenly uses God's providence, so he calls it, as a vindication of what he really secretly wants to do. And listen, ladies and gentlemen, (laughs) don't do that. All right, do I even need to to explain myself? You already know where I'm going with this. You know, you want to do something that you think is not right, and then suddenly it seems to line up like you should do it. And so you have an excuse. See, it's really not so bad. I'm going to do it because there's an opportunity to do it. 
you know, for example, what are the odds that I would get that job as a bartender? You, you, you know, see, I mean, they asked me, hey, you know, do you need Sundays off? You know, hey, it's a sign from God that I should take the job. All right. I'll think of a better one than that. The way that I met that cute boy, he doesn't know the Lord, the girl is saying. But the way that we met, and oh, it's such a just a divine encounter, right? I don't think so. Or why would God set you up with something he told you not to do, right? Oh, you should take the job because it got offered to you or you should get the loan because your, your credit score was approved. See, it's a sign. Everything is not a sign yet. yes to do something. Amen? Amen. You all look very busy mentally. <laughs> yeah, you all look like, whoa, I've been doing this, I think. <laughs> oh, no, we all do stuff like that. And so, yeah, you know what? Here's what... Charles Spurgeon said about this. Wait till you hear this. Calling all opportunities God's providence and God's will is quite dangerous. Providence or no providence, whether doors open or close, the word of God is to be our guide. And we must not depart from God's word under the pretext of some chance opportunity with our circumstances. It is very easy. He lived in the 1800s. It is very easy to make up a providence when you want to do so. If you sit down and try to find a spiritual excuse for the wrong thing, the crafty devil and your deceitful heart together will soon conjure up proof of God's will through so-called God's providence. Be careful for that. Be careful. The word of God, wise counsel, God's confirming peace. These are things that are heavier than just an open door with none of the above. And so uh, Jonah paid his fare and all the commentators say, and you always will pay your own fare when you're trying to get away from the provider. He's, this one's on you, Jonah, you know. Uh, and so he hears all aboard. Verse 4, so then the Lord sent, so they're off. (laughs) Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea, and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. All the sailors were afraid, and each cried out to his own God. And they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. But Jonah had gone below deck, where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. The captain went to him and said, "Uh, how can you sleep? Get off and call on your God. Maybe you'll take notice of us and we won't perish. Then the sailors said to each other, come, let us cast lots to find out who's responsible for this calamity. They cast lots and the lot fell on Jonah. So they asked him, tell us who is responsible for making all this trouble for us? What do you do? Where do you come from? What is your country? From what people are you? He answered, I am a Hebrew, and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the land. And then they did a Scooby-Doo. <laughs> Rot row. <laughs> oh, come on. That was funny. Verse 10. 
Rot-roll. Don't you remember him? I love him. Do I overuse him? I'm sorry. Verse 10. This terrified them. Yeah, it should. Yeah, he, he made the ocean and the earth. Yeah. And they asked, oh, what is it that you've done? Well, they knew he was running away from the Lord because he already told them so. All right, let's figure this one out. So we have a disobedient prophet, and now we have a relentless God to deal with. Now, what do you do when you have to call 911, but uh, you're trying to get away from the emergency responders, right? I mean, he's in trouble. He needs to call God, but he can't, so he's going to get kind of depressed and go below, just pretend like nothing's really happening. So uh, uh, an emergency has developed as a result of Jonah's disobedience, as they often do. Uh, three statements denoting three consecutive events. Number one, God causes wind. Uh, two, which causes a storm. Three, which threatens to sink the ship. Four, really, which hopefully will get the attention of one certain Jewish passenger. He's in the economy section below. <laughs> now, that, uh, you know, his name... Jonah means dove. Son of Amittai means son of truth. The dove, the Holy Spirit of God, the truth. The bottom line, Jonah, is that God is not some guy up there with a lightning bolt ready to kill all the bad guys. He set the lightning bolt through his own son's heart. That's Jonah, the dove, that comes down from heaven, Jesus saying, come to me, everybody who's heavy burdened, and I will give you rest, for I am gentle. And even when there are 21 judgments that destroy this earth and make it a charred sphere of barrenness, he is called a dozen times the Lamb the wrath of the lamb in Revelation. Why? Why the lamb? Because his truest heart is not to destroy, but to give life. The thief comes to kill, steal, and destroy. But I, I'm about life. I'm about gentleness and kindness and love and grace and mercy. That's his heart. But if you don't want any of that, well, then you'll get the wrath. The, you, you can have the, the lion or the lamb. But I like how Romans puts it. He says, behold, both the kindness and the severity of God. Behold that he is a lamb and he is a lion. He is a dove and he is an eagle, right? But his nature, his nature, I like, I mean, bottom line, Jonah, hey, I'm gentle, I'm kind, I'm redemptive, I'm loving, I'm gentle. And by the way, the Lamb of God, the wrath of the Lamb occurs 30 times in the book of Revelation, not a dozen times. And so God wants Jonah's attention, but instead he gets the attention of these sailors, the cargo vessel instead. And so uh, they don't know the Lord. You know, they're pagan in the technical sense of that word, that they worship uh, multiple gods and that kind of thing, grope around in darkness. And, and so uh, they're terrified. 
They're crying out to their superstitious gods and hurling cargo overboard. So it's pretty serious stuff. Um, uh, and by the way, this is why nobody should, should keep saying to themselves, hey, I'll get right with God at a later date, you know, later. Because you don't know when the storm is going to hit and you're in a 911 and you've got 10 seconds or less. Oh, some people caught their last words are going to be Jesus Christ, but not the way we see Jesus Christ. That's going to be the way they enter eternity because they kept putting it off, putting it off, putting it off. And then bam, boom, the storm. What? Cargo's going over. Hey, you're caught. And you're not prepared. Princess Diana's last words, she was agitated. And she said, oh my God, leave me alone. Those are her last words. There wasn't, oh my God. Be ready. These guys aren't ready and they're panicked and they should be. So what about the guy who could kind of uh, be a light? Well, he's deep in sleep. He's, he, the word means out cold. You know, so he's down in, in, the, bell, in the belly of the ship. Things are going to get lower for him. Uh, but, and, and the words don't mean normal sleep. It, it's not an automatic sleep from which you could easily be awakened. Uh, what's causing that? Well, maybe God, you know, I don't see the point of God doing that. I think the opposite would be true, that God wants him awake, helping, confessing, and abating the storm, right, and helping them. If he would have come clean right there, they're close enough to port. They try to row back. So the storms hit right away, right? This could have been resolved, but he's down there feeling sorry for himself, and he's depressed. And when you're depressed, you can get that kind of malaise come over you, and, and he's ended his career and his ministry. He's grieving the Holy Spirit. He feels guilty about that. It takes a lot of emotional energy to live a double life. When you know the truth and you're not living the truth out, trust me, it's a drain. It takes a lot of emotional work to be a hypocrite. And um, amen? amen. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> I mean, the, these are just truths that we have to look at. And un, uh, unresolved guilt. So the captain is going to rebuke him. So, you know, he's probably throwing some stuff out. He's down below. They didn't even know he was down there, probably. And, and he's like being... So, uh, can you hear God speaking through the mouth of this panicked um, unbeliever, right? Uh, could you get up and call on your God? Oh, well, that's exactly what he needed to do, and he, knew, he, he knows that. So God is using the mouth of somebody who doesn't even know him to rebuke the guy who does. And it says, and three of those words in there in Hebrew are straight out of the line from God calling Jonah to Nineveh. So so. Jonah knows, oh, he's using this guy to kind of get at me here. So I imagine it goes like this. He's grabbing some cargo near Jonah's bed, and in sarcasm, he's saying, you know, howling wind and everything, and everything's going, he's going, taking a nap, man. Probably not the best time. Maybe you should consider praying to your God. Maybe your God could save us from certain death, man. And so... What a stab to Jonah's heart. You know, I think of the Apostle Paul when the ship went crazy in a storm. 
Paul took charge, and the captain was looking to Paul, and Paul was giving the shots. He's saying, gentlemen, the Lord has given me a revelation. The angel of God has stood by me at night. He told me, these are the requirements. Everyone stays on board. Nobody dies. If you get onto the lifeboats, you'll perish. Come, eat some bread. And he broke bread. Paul, the prisoner. And he's leading the way with peace and encouragement and the gospel. Not this dude. This dude's below. Every man for yourself. You're going to die? You're going to die. I hope you know the Lord. But, uh, you know? So he looks like a crazy person down there. The unbelievers telling me what to do now, what a stab, and the crew is in danger because of my rebellion. He's not feeling uh, really good. And so Jonah's thinking, yeah, I'd love to call on my God. Right now, we're not on speaking terms, you know? (laughs) Yeah, he could save us all, but you know, me and him got a little disagreement going, all right? And so, yeah, so you're going to have to die too. (laughs) Those who run from God often will put those who are connected to them in harm's way. You know, he didn't wake up one day and say, you know what, I'm going to cost the life of three others within my foolish folly, right? But how many guys do that when they have an affair? They don't wake up and think, you know, I'm going to destroy my family, ruin my kids, and, and, and pass on such emotional baggage and hurt and pain and suffering to my children that it'll ruin their marriages and their lives. They just do their own thing. Run from God, do the wrong thing. But those who are connected to us in ministries, if if that were to happen to me, you're all hurt. There's no way out of it. And pastors think it's just me and my private thoughts and whatever. No, I'm connected, we're connected, you're connected. You have parents, you have brothers, you have people who depend on you. So you can't be just going off running from God because you're going to hurt people. You know, you can't just go get drunk and just think, I'm going to go get drunk and get behind the wheel of a car. You're not thinking about the people whose lives, by your running and sinning, you put in jeopardy. That's always the case. So the sailing crew, it's just a picture of what happens when we get into our self-centered lives and sinning. And so somehow in the text here, the sailors sense uh, the supernatural cause of the calamity. They start putting it together. Uh, number one, the storm came out of nowhere. They, they wouldn't have pulled out and set sail if there was a, a nor'easter coming, a hurricane, a cyclone. No. Yeah, yeah. So they're, they're like, whoa, where did this come from? And because they want to row back later, we find out they want to row back to port. They're close. So that just goes to show you they're supernatural. Like, we just set out. It was blue skies. Where, where, what is this? So they start thinking, hey, there's something supernatural going on here. Number two, is it even storm season? It, it doesn't have to be storm season. So they're thinking, huh, hmm, what's this dude, this crazy dude, asleep down there, this foreigner, and he's hiding out, and apparently he's made a, a remark because we see it in the text. Where are you going? Where are you headed? You're going, to, you're going all the way to Spain? What's up with that? I'm running away from God. <laughs> How else? It says, for he had told them 
he's running from God, right? So these guys are starting to put it together. A storm out of nowhere, right? A crazy dude asleep down there hiding from something, you know? And now we're all going to die? What's going on? And so uh, the sailors want some answers. We're going to cast lots. It's kind of like rolling dice. And we're going to ask the universe, (laughs) uh, you, you know, who's the problem here? Now, in Proverbs 16, we find out that back in, when it was done godly with the high priest, with a prayer, they could do that. When they needed a yes or no question answered and they sought the Lord, the Lord, Proverbs 16 said he'd come through like that. Uh, this is a secularized divination, which God is going to use anyway. Why? Because he's God and can do whatever he wants. So they, they're saying, who's the troublemaker? What's going on? And they cast in lots and sure enough, you know, he's found out. Please note in your text, Jonah doesn't own up he has to be found out. No dignity there. One writer said, in the Bible, as well as contemporary life, it seems to always go better for the one who owns up and outs himself from his sin rather than the one who has to be discovered in his or her sin. Oh, come out with it. So my first question when a scandal pops open Always, were they discovered or did the person come forward? Oh, it makes such a difference. It's like, oh, God was at work and they humbled themselves and, and, and kind of died to themselves and, and out. You can see, oh, there's hope. But when, you never know if somebody is found out. You never know. What, they're, they're, are they truly repenting? Well, of course they have to repent. They were found out. Right? And so there are tears and there's vows and promises, but you don't know. We'll never know. But the person who outed themselves, all we know about them. This is a true repentance, or they wouldn't have outed themselves and put themselves in in sort of a a very embarrassing, uh, potentially uh, with great loss, whatever the sin may be. And so I do, I I hate it that he, he let them roll the dice. Jonah, you could have just stopped it any time. I said, well, how far are you going to play this thing? Because he's still thinking, storms happen. Hey, the ship was there. I paid the fare. Just want to go to Spain. You know, I want to run with the bulls. All right, you got a problem with that? <laughs> There's this bull run in Spain. <laughs> Apparently, you don't know anything about. But <laughs> He's still playing the game. And he hopes the lot doesn't fall on him. He's still open a wig. There's some wiggle room here. What are the odds that it's going to come out with me? Very high <laughs> with the Lord, and it does. So uh, it's the crazy man below, and the, the, the crew's high-fiving themselves. I told you it was him. He's crazy. He's down there sleeping while we're all dying. So the interrogation begins here with five questions. Is it you? You, did you make all this? What did you do? What line of work are you in? <laughs> you know, what do you do? What's your race, nationality, and what's your religion? And by the way, uh, that's going to be the question. Verse 8, I think at Judgment Day. Are you 
the one responsible for making all the trouble for all of us? It's going to be a question. I think at either throne, our throne where we lose reward but keep salvation, or their throne where it all ends up in the bad place. But there'll be that reckoning. Are you the one that made all of this trouble, whatever that is, for us happen? And of course, there'll be no wiggle room there. So verse 9, the son of truth finally is telling some. He says, okay, I'll tell you, I'm a Jew. I worship the Lord, the real deal, the living and true God of heaven. Uh, He's the one who made the earth and the sea that we're floating on. Um, You've heard, no doubt, probably about the Red Sea parting and the armies that are 10 times our size uh, defeated by him. And the 10 plagues where he busted us out of Egypt. It's him. That's the God that I serve. And so they're terrified as well they should be. Um, Essentially, here's what he's saying. They all believed in gods, but he's telling them, my God is the chief God over all of your gods. Yeah, um, they're not happy to hear that. And, And so now they want details, and they ask that question there, what have you done? It really means, why? The pagan unbeliever is asking the believer who just said, I'm running from this beautiful God who created everything, created me and the sea and the earth. I'm running from him. And they're like, why? Why would you do that? That's a pretty logical question to which we really don't have a really good answer for. Yeah, think about it. Why would you? And then we're like, yeah, why would you? And then we're doing it. I mean, there are people here who are avoiding God tonight and talk to him for a long time. You're not exactly doing everything he wants you to do. That would be called resisting him. So the question from the guys on the ship, just want to ask you, believer, who have God over your life, who created heaven and earth, your life died for you, uh, promised you a place in heaven and, and causes you a way out of hell. They just want to ask you the question, why would you harden your heart and go the opposite way from a God who loves you? Just, they just, they're just asking. They're curious. Let's finish up. Verses 11 and onward. Then we're done. The sea was getting rougher and rougher. They asked him, what should we do to you to make the sea calm down for us? Pick me up and throw me into the sea, he replied. It'll become calm. I know that it's my fault. Here we go. Oh, truth. I, I know that it's my fault that this great storm has come upon you. Instead, the men did their best to row back to land, but they couldn't, for the sea grew even wilder than before. Then they cried to the Lord, to Yahweh. That's Jehovah Yahweh. And from their lips, oh, Yahweh. Please do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man for you, Yahweh. You have done what you pleased. Then they took Jonah, threw him overboard, and the raging sea grew calm. At this, the men greatly feared the Lord, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. 
But the Lord provided a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was inside that fish for three days and three nights. All right, let's have some uh, reflections here. So first of all, we had a disobedient prophet. We were followed then by a relentless God, and now some pretty desperate sailors. Now, the sailors need some wise counsel from the man of God. (laughs) So... They've made some deductions, but it kind of brings them to an awkward place. So they say, okay, number one, the storm's obviously a God thing. We got that. Two, we've determined it's all about you, all right? Three, the intensity of the storm is increasing. What should we do with you? Well, Jonah says, the death penalty The death penalty is what I deserve. You know, he's probably feeling now some compassion. You know, just throw me overboard. I'm saved. You know, I'll be with the Lord. You guys will be safe. I deserve it. Just toss me over, I promise. Things will get a lot better as soon as I'm drowned (laughs) and out of here. I know, sad, but you know what? It's pretty serious stuff. You guys will be off uh, the hook once I am thrown into the sea. Now, there are decent unbelievers and, and not so much, right? These guys are decent. They're just, you know, there are good unbelieving people. They're out there. And, and the Bible says, first of all, in God's eyes, there's no such thing as a good person. But as far as bad people go, there are some good bad people. Did that make sense? <laughs> These are, are, are one of them. They say, hey, we don't want to kill you, man. You're a little crazy. You got us into a bunch of trouble. But you know what? They're going, okay, this is a God thing. You just identified him as King God, Yahweh. You identified yourself as his prophet, his man. You belong to this God, and now you're telling us to kill you. Well, you belong to that God. And then if we kill you and you belong to Yahweh, what's Yahweh going to do to us? <laughs> So uh, we're going to row you back, you know. So they try to do their best to do that. Uh, But it only gets worse in in verse 13. So there can only be one uh, solution. So they pray to the Lord. It's so beautiful. God, God working all things together for the good once again. And they say, here's a paraphrase, please don't kill us for taking this guy's life. Um, it's not our idea to kill this innocent man. This whole thing seems to be your doing. That, that's what they're saying. This is your business. We got stuck in between you and this guy. You're, you have a little war going on. We happen to be the guys in the middle. You know, we're going to get shot up here. We'd like to just kind of sidestep this and give him over to you. So we're going to hand him over to you now. Could you not kill us? That's essentially what they're saying. So... Um, Man overboard, verse 15. Uh, They take Jonah and toss him over into the raging Mediterranean. And the storm ceases and there's great calm. Can you imagine the look on their faces? They're in the middle of a cyclone and they go like a one, two, three, splash. And the boat settles down. No wonder they got saved. All three of them. You're going to meet them in heaven. I love asking people, so how did you tell us the story? I mean, we've got 10,000 more years right now in this, to have this little conversation. Tell me, how did you get here? And you're going to meet somebody there who's going to say, 
I was on the boat with Jonah. <laughs> oh, that's going to be good. Now, how many of you started thinking this sounds familiar? Three lives are in danger. God's wrath is heavy. And one guy gets thrown into the wrath of God, and those lives are spared. Hmm. I wonder who that is a picture of. Charles Spurgeon. He said, oh, it's not a picture of Charles. But he, he did say this. He said, brethren, I wish I had the words to adequately explain and describe the peace which comes to a human heart when we learn to see Jesus cast into the sea of God's wrath on our behalf. Our consciences accuse us no longer. Judgment now decides for the, for the sinner instead of against him. Memory can look back upon past sins with sorrow for the sin, it is true, but yet with no dread of any penalty to come. It is a blessed thing for a man to know that he cannot be punished, that heaven and earth may shake, but he cannot be punished for his sin because someone has already been thrown into the sea, being punished for him on his behalf. And everyone on the boat who makes vows to God are spared because of him. That's nice. So salvation comes to the, the sailors. The whole ordeal is pretty profound for them. And the last straw, of course, is the calming of the sea. So uh, they make three summary uh, moves here. First of all, they have great reverence, great fear of God. That word really means they really believed. That's the Hebrew for they had a personal experience of revering God personally. And, and then secondly, it says they sacrificed, and most commentators say they probably got back to port I don't think they continued on to Tarshish. They're right close by. They go back after that ordeal and they get right with God by going to Jerusalem, which isn't that far, or a shrine that they, an altar that they had set up a lot in Israel. And, and so they, they went to the priest and said, hey, we want to become uh, Jewish. And they made vows to him. What does making vows mean? Is it committed their lives to Yahweh? They made promises, we'll serve you. Not our other gods. The sinner's prayer is making vows. I believe in you. I give my life to you. I surrender. I repent of my sins. I'll follow you. That's what happened. They got saved. Verse 17, the sailors uh, think that Jonah's dead, but God's got a plan. Let's give jo Jonah some time to think things over. Three days, right? So he provides a great fish, a whale. Is this an allegory? Well, if it is, then Jesus our Lord is confused because Jesus our Lord thinks it was a historical event because when the Pharisees and Sadducees come to him and say, we'd like to see a sign, even though they had seen plenty, he says, you know what this generation is? A wicked and adulterous generation is asking, oh, show me a sign. But do you want to know the sign you're going to get? Matthew chapter 12, the sign, the only sign you boys are going to get is the sign of Jonah, who was in the belly of the whale for three days. 
That's your sign. What did Jesus mean by that? First of all, he meant that there was a real whale, there was a real Jonah, and he was in there for three days. So, no allegory. Jesus is using it because he's going to say, the sign you're going to get is you're going to kill me, and the sign is going to be I'm going to be hidden from sight for three days, like Jonah was hidden from sight for three days, and then up from the bottom, Jonah came, bam, there he is, alive and well. A little weathered, but alive and well. <laughs> he's saying the same way. He says to them, the only sign you're going to get is you lose. You're going to kill me, and I'm going to rise in three days. You know what your only sign's going to be? Your big sign is when you perish. That's going to be the sign to some unbelievers. You wanted a sign? Here it is, the great white throne. God's seated on it. The books are open, and all your sins are judged, and you're cast away from his presence. There's your sign. That's what Jesus is saying. You want a sign? Oh, you're going to get a sign. And then in that day, you're going to go, whoa, that's a sign. <laughs> and, and you're going to be a believer, but it's going to be too late. That's what he's saying. But the main thing here, from my point of view, is there was a great whale. Because Jesus said there was a great whale. And Jesus used it not figuratively, but literally. Because he was in the ground three days, his body. He was in paradise. But that's a whole another story. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the lesson of Jonah, chapter 1. Already, God, some great stuff and help us to apply your word, not just to be hearers, but doers, so we could be blessed. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together. Closing song. You have been listening to The Rock Podcast. Our regular services are held on Wednesday nights at 6.30 and Sunday mornings at 8.30 and 10.30 a.m. in Santa Rosa, California. If you would like to learn more, please visit our website at calvarytherock.org.